and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Get your popcorn ready. It's game time, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a team that is known as Stoppers. Stoppers. The Athletic presents Hogan Johns. Every single play, go take it. Bring that juice. Let's go get it. Come on. Chicago's best Bears coverage. Go Bears. Go Bears. From NBC Sports Chicago, it's Adam Hogue. The Bears angst in general. Everybody's like angry about it, I feel like. Just relax. From The Athletic, it's Adam Johns. This is just how it is. It's a range of emotions. It's a range of feelings and hot takes. Here they are. Fiery, feisty, and frequently ill. What's up? Welcome in. Hogan Johns here with you. And plenty of things to talk about as the pandemic and the NFL rolls on. What's up, Johnsy? And the rain rolls on. What's this? Four out of five days here in the city? Yes. A little water in the basement. Survived the last... Did you build an ark yet? Yes, yes, yes. Out of Legos. Did not work. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We survived the other night, though. We got through. I was outside in the rain with a sump pump. Luckily, I did not get electrocuted. So here we are, talking bears. That's a plus, not getting electrocuted, not getting yes, hit by is. lightning. That's, that's uh, a plus. Listeners, yeah. Our <laughs> listeners are happy that you're here. Yes, I'm happy I'm uh, here. Most days. <laughs> Uh, anyway, welcome in, and we have some things to talk about. Matt Nagy met with reporters on Friday, and we did not have a second episode last week. We're in kind of, it's going to be a little, I don't know how to put it, like, we got more stuff coming up here in the next couple of weeks, actually, we're with OTAs. OTAs are kind of happening, like, basically over Zoom, but we are going to have some media availability through it. So um, we'll probably have uh, two episodes next week for sure, and then kind of going forward through mini camp. I mean, it's kind of crazy, John, that we're we're at the point of the year where we would be going to practices normally. Yeah, things have changed in the NFL world. Uh, well, they, they've definitely changed because they're all it's all digital right now. But there is still some semblance of access. There's still some storylines. We're about to jump into this quarterback conversation. I know here. Um, but the NFL's been busy. Life has gone on, um, not the same, but it, but it's but it's going on. Like they're busy, which is which is good for us at least. So here's what we're gonna do. Um, Dan Pompey is gonna join us here shortly because uh, there, there was some major news in the organization with the uh, sad passing of Michael McCaskey over the weekend, and uh, Dan Pompey. Knew Michael McCaskey better than than we certainly did because we both started. Um, I think my first season was his first season retired. I, I think that's right. Um, but I, I just I didn't really overlap with Michael McCaskey much, and um, I don't think you did either, John. So obviously Dan Pompey, the history he has covering this organization, uh, he's the right guy to come on and and, and talk about that. So he's going to come on here in a little bit. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Adam Hogue, H-O-G-E, at Adam Johns, J-A-H-N-S. You can read me at NBCSportsChicago.com. And lo and behold, Johns, I have another Mitch Trubisky column up. Oh, <laughs> from- no. What did you do this time? You know what? I went so far as to say the criticism has gone too far <laughs> with Mitch. <laughs> 
I like it though. You, you know, like I exchange a lot of text messages with Kevin Fishman. And everybody knows that by now. You know, if you listen to our last podcast, <laughs> and some of it is is just incessantly uh, like unfair. It's almost hard not to read some of it as personal. That's just my take. Oh yeah, I think a lot of it is personal. I think I think for a lot of people, it's we've talked about this. Uh, so so many people were against the draft right drafting of Mitch right away that they want their that initial opinion to be correct, and um, you know others are just so upset in general by his uh, inconsistent play that they're just fed up. So I think it's a combination of both. Uh, it's the national stuff that kind of has me surprised sometimes, John. I'll, I'll have people go read the column on their own, but this specific thing was about um, JJ Stankovic from. NBC Sports Chicago last week talked to Rodney Harrison, who I love from NBC. Uh, but Rodney went so far as to say that if Mitch doesn't win this job, and this is a good transition to what we're going to talk about here, doesn't win this job in 2020, he will never start an NFL game again. And I just, that's to me an example of where the criticism goes too far. When you compare him to some of these other busts, and that's what I did in this column, John's was just. You know, to put him in the same conversation as even like Blaine Gabbard, who did go on to start 21 additional games following his rookie deal. Um, Mitch is a better quarterback, and you can look at data, you can look at the tape. There's a lot of things that show that that he doesn't belong in the same conversation as some of these all-time quarterback busts, even though he hasn't lived up to his number two overall pick. I almost wonder if Rodney Harrison. With all due respect, uh, you know, Chicago guy, Southside guy, Marion Catholic guy, like he even remembers that Blaine Gabbert, you know, preceded to or, or proceeded to start games after that. Just certain context seems to get left out of the conversation with the Bears. I, I, I think it's in general too, not just Trubisky, but again, like I said, the Bears. It's like the three and thirteen prediction by USA Today. It's like almost everyone forgot they went eight and eight last year, and had Akeem Hicks, you know, dislocate his elbow. Had Danny Trevathan dislocate his elbow. Had Kyle Long and IR halfway through the year. It's just people people forget certain things, especially when you're you're poking holes in the Bears from a national level. That's just my two cents and certain criticisms of the team. And another one pops up today, or was it yesterday? But Bill Barnwell has him second to last. In the entire league. Well, Bill Barnwell has always been a critic of the Bears. And I like Bill Barnwell's work. I think he actually does an outstanding job. But if you read Bill Barnwell's work as much as I do, you could tell that he's always... He's got the Bears usually in the lower end of things. No surprise there. I believe he once wrote that Trubisky wouldn't even make it to the fourth year of his contract. Which I remember at the time like being baffled by. Um... And for, really for this exact reason, even if they got to the point where they were ready to move on, he'd still be on the team. Like he wouldn't be that bad that they just cast him off like Brandon Whedon in Cleveland. And anyway, here here we are where it's a quarterback competition, but certainly not one that's going to end with uh, Trubisky off the team entirely here in 2020. So uh, we had a chance to talk to Matt Nagy. And we'll start with this quickly before we get to Dan Pompey. But I was curious, Johns, how uh, a quarterback competition can play out over Zoom. There's uh, no competition going on right now over Zoom, Adam. You know, it's a, but that's certainly a, a fair question. Um, that that part, I, I think what those guys are doing right now is they personally, including Tyler, they're all building up um, their their mental capacity within this offense as to what they like 
the beauty of what's going on right now is there's so much feedback back and forth and discussions are interactive in what coaches like and what the players like, what the quarterbacks like, different ideas. And so to say that there really, you know, we can, there's no way to possibly say the competition has started right now. But when we do get out onto the field, depending on when that is, that's where we are going to have to be really good as coaches in making sure that we uh, provide the best way possible to make it as fair as possible to where, you know, we can evaluate and they can go out and get the exact same reps in the exact same environment so that we can hopefully make a decision off of that. It's interesting, Johns, because you wonder, um, I'm sure they got to wonder right now, how many reps are actually going to be out there to, to decide this thing? Yeah, I wrote in my five thoughts column over the weekend that I think Mitch Trubisky, like he, he really needs the preseason to happen as planned. Those snaps in the preseason are vastly more important to him than Nick Foles. In my opinion, like Nick Foles, I've already written this, Nick Foles is the in-house leader. When Matt Nagy is saying this week that he's already picked up the offense quickly, like everything is pointing to Nick Foles being the starter. So if there's some level of uncertainty about the, the offseason program, like like there is now, right? They're all over Zoom. If training camp gets affected, that means reps get affected. Maybe the preseason eventually gets affected. So there's a lot of things to take in consideration here. So with Trubisky, look, he's, it's an uphill battle. He's going to need the preseason. He's going to need as many opportunities as he can to, to state his case to be the Bears starting quarterback come week one. We will resume this conversation. I want to get into more about kind of how this is all working um, inside the Bears meeting rooms right now. Basically, what Matt Nagy, how Matt Nagy explained it to us last week. So we will uh, we'll, we'll get into all that here and, and how it affects even this quarterback spot, including the comments that you just mentioned about you know where Nick Foles is with this offense right now. Uh, but we do want to bring in Dan Pompey, and uh, and he's the right guy to. Bring on to have this conversation about Michael McCaskey, who sadly passed away over the weekend. So we will do that now. Dan Pompey from The Athletic. Hey, Dan. Hey, guys. How are you? Good to be with you today. You too. Uh, it's always good to have you on with, with us, Dan. And uh, we definitely wanted to bring you on to, to talk about Michael because not only your long history covering this team, being around on a day-to-day basis when he was in charge, but also you know going through the with the Bears 100 scrapbook last year too I'm sure you revisited a lot of these topics as well over the years how do you remember Michael McCaskey how do you look back on his legacy of running the Chicago Bears well I think he uh, took over the team at a very interesting point in history you know when the Bears were just about ready to take off and um, I think his most important job initially was just not to screw things up and he did not do that you know he allowed uh, the people who were in place to do their jobs. And, uh, you know, he empowered uh, Mike Ditka early on. And, and uh, uh, the team uh, obviously did uh, everything that it was supposed to do in 1985. Uh, things got difficult for the Bears for a lot of reasons. And uh, uh, they were going to have a hard time duplicating what they did. And I think that would have been the case no matter who was in Michael McCaskey's position. But uh, certainly it was a challenge for him. I, I think their biggest problem in those years is 
uh, their quarterback, Jim McMahon, couldn't stay on the field at the most important time of the year. And, um, you know, there wasn't much he could do about it. They tried with different quarterbacks bringing them in, but obviously they didn't uh, hit the right chord because it's, it's tough to get uh, a quarterback, as, as Bears fans well know. I think, uh, you know, we look back at his legacy, we'll think of a guy who had uh, uh, mixed results and a guy whose legacy was complicated, especially given what happened uh, in the years after the 1980 Bears broke up. Dan, in your piece on the the athletic, I really enjoyed the anecdote of. I'm guessing you were one of the two writers sitting in the the house hall, the old house hall press room, when Michael McCaskey would come in, and you you, t- you talked about the the banter and the the back and forth and the laughter that you guys would share in there. Can you take us inside that press room and, and what that was like and what you, what you guys would banter over? Yeah, I think it was interesting, Adam, in those days, you know, Michael didn't like to be quoted a lot. If you tried to pin him down on something, he'd usually try to beg off or say, oh, no, I'm not talking about that. Uh, but it, when there was hardly anybody around, maybe it was late in the day, or early in the morning, yeah, there'd be, uh, you know, one or two writers sitting in the press room and uh, he'd, he'd pass by. He would often pop his head in, come in. Sometimes he'd even sit down and uh, we talk about just about anything other than uh, maybe the questions that beat writers would have that they'd like to ask him. Uh, you know, he, he was uh, a, a well-cultured man. You know, we, we could talk about food. We could talk about uh, music. We could talk about uh, uh, world events, things that were happening. And um, he liked to laugh. I think he kind of enjoyed the feeling of, uh, just being one of the guys and being normal. I don't know if it was completely controversial, but certainly different uh, ways that Michael McCaskey went about things was his decision to fire Jerry Venisi in 86 and, and go forward without a general manager, which the Bears basically did for 15 years. Why did he... Why did he go that route? And for those that I guess don't fully remember, how did the organization operate without a general manager for all those years? Who made those decisions? Well, you know, uh, I think what he really wanted, Adam, was a different organizational structure. I think he wanted a situation where the head of personnel and the head coach were both reporting to him as the president. And he didn't want a general manager uh, in between uh, other people and him. I think, you know, there also probably were some uh, personal things there, too, where, you know, Dick and Jerry Venisi had become very close and were kind of operating in lockstep. And, you know, it was kind of like, uh, you know, having uh, a president and a Senate on the same page and you can't the Congress can't do anything about it or something like that uh, you know where, where the two of them were, were pretty powerful as one I mean and not that there was anything wrong with that but it was something that uh, Michael wanted to have uh, uh, more authority I think and more ability to have uh, uh, different decisions made if he felt they were merited Dan one thing I've always wondered is so when, when George takes over, and you know Michael is, well, he's fired by by his mother. Like, you know, I've always wondered, like, what was that like afterward for him? You know, you mentioned that he was a worldly man. He he was cultured. Like, where did he go? What did he do? I, I know he pursued. Um, was it photography 
for for a bit. Take us into to the world of Michael McCaskey post Bears, if you can. Well, you know, initially after he was removed as president, he was made chairman of the board, and he stayed in that role for a number of years. As a matter of fact, he was, uh, you know, still pretty active in things, and I think he was a part of uh, the hiring of Jerry Angelo. I know he was a part of the hiring of Jerry Angelo and Lovey Smith. So, I mean, he really deserves a little bit of credit, I think, for getting the uh, organization back on track in, in the 2000s, along with Ted Phillips. And then uh, after that point, um, he, he got to a stage where everyone thought it was best that, uh, you know, he just uh, kind of move on. And I think he had had enough. And he, um, he moved to Boston. Um, he ended up uh, becoming uh, or, or pursuing his great passion of photography. He started his own web page and uh, traveled and took photos. He, uh, you would sometimes bump into him at NFL games because he liked to shoot from the sidelines. Uh, but that wasn't the only thing he liked to shoot. He would uh, do nature photography and all kinds of different things and, and uh, just kind of uh, enjoy the the later years of his life, you know, he was at that point uh, at an age when uh, many people retire and, and he was uh, uh, ready for a, a different kind of existence. Dan, I, th- I think this question would, um, I guess, kind of applies to both Michael and George. But, you know, because the Bears have operated uh, under one family ownership for over 100 years now, um, it's it's interesting how they just the family compares to some of these other ownerships around the NFL. And you've seen them all. We, we see them all when you get in, you know, some, especially like the owners meetings, um, which didn't happen this year, but you just kind of see the contrast sometimes. How would you describe that uh, in terms of where the bears are just as an ownership group compared to, you know, I think on the other end of the scale might be like Jerry Jones and, and all the, all that money that, that he flaunts. Uh, it, it's very different. And do you think it has any impact on what happens on the field? Well, it certainly could. I mean, you're talking about uh, really a, a family ownership situation. Um, the, the people who have owned the Bears, who have always owned the Bears, really have never been business people. They started out as football people. George Ellis was a football person. And, um, you know, his plan was to have his son – Muggs, Hallis, uh, take over for him. And, of course, uh, Muggs died of a heart attack in the 1970s, and that thrust Virginia McCaskey into a role that she never thought that she would be in. And, uh, of course, she's been in that role ever since, and she's had uh, her husband, her late husband, and uh, Michael and now George help her a lot, and her other uh, children as well, but mostly uh, the, uh, those, those people in terms of leadership of the team. And, um, you know, it's, it's a different, it's a different dynamic. There's no question from, uh, like you say, Jerry Jones or Stephen Bashotti or Dan Snyder. Um, th- this is a, a group of individuals that, uh, really is, uh, about football and, and not about, uh, the money, you know, and, and, um, uh, they've kind of learned as they've gone and they've, they've kind of figured out, uh, how to go about things and how to be a part of this league. I mean, uh, there, there's no other ownership group in any sport that's quite like the Bears that has had this one family. Uh, you know, Virginia McCaskey has been there since almost the very start 
until now, and that's that's very unique in pro sports, very different. Dan, I, I know a, a lot of fans will remember like what Jim McMahon said about Michael McCaskey. I, I think he did it in his book and in other interviews and whatnot. I, I always found that so unique, you know. So, so for fans maybe who remember that and remember some of the 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 more troubling things, at least in their opinions, like how should he be remembered? You used the word complicated earlier in this interview. Like for for fans who are maybe not as privy as to some of the details that you are, how would you say Michael McCaskey should be remembered uh, by Bears fans? Well, I think he was a man who presided over a very successful period of their of their time. You know, they had a winning percentage of five thirty nine when he was the uh, their president and, and uh, chairman, and uh, they made it to their only Super Bowl uh, victory, and they made it to their only Super Bowl loss when he was uh, involved as well. So, um, you know, I, I think there are good things. I think certainly there are things that you could criticize about him during his tenure. Um, certainly, uh, some of the things you mentioned, uh, you know, there, there was the, the Dave McGinnis situation where they tried to hire him before he was ready to be hired, and the whole thing blew up and got pretty ugly. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I, I think overall what I would say about Mike McCaskey's, you know, he was probably in a role that he really never uh, was, was quite cut out for, you know, this was a guy who was uh, uh, to me probably cut out to be a college professor somewhere. I think uh, that probably would have suited his strengths and his personality traits in a better way than being the president of a football team ever did. Um, you know, that being said, uh, he, uh, he rolled the wave pretty well. And he, um, was, a. I think he, you know, when you look back, he was a big part of bears history for 27 years. He was the top man in the organization. And there was, uh, you know, success during those years, too. So uh, th- that's part of it as well. Hey, Dan, before we let you go, because this is going to lead into what we're going to talk about the rest of this podcast. The last time we talked to you, we were in Indianapolis before the world changed dramatically. Um, but at, at that point, the conversation was which veteran would they be adding to the quarterback mix to uh, challenge Mitchell Trubisky? And it ended up being Nick Foles. We haven't talked to you since then. What is your just reaction to the Bears going that route with somebody that Matt Nagy so comfortable with and clearly trusts? And where do you think it puts Mitch Trubisky? Uh, it, did you think he has a legitimate shot to keep his job? You know, I uh, I liked the uh, acquisition of Nick Foles. You know, given the other options out there, I know you know some of the uh, some of the players like Philip Rivers or Tom Brady never were real were really realistic options. Uh, but I think uh, Foles was a good uh, a good compromise if he couldn't have those guys, certainly. And part of it is that he's familiar with the system. Obviously, in this unusual offseason, that's going to be a factor. But uh, really, that's not the only thing. I, I think Foles was a pretty good value. You know, last offseason, he was the most sought-after quarterback on the market. And he's a guy who... Uh, you know, has had an interesting career because his high points have been incredibly high. You know, he's done things that a lot of other quarterbacks have failed to do. Uh, of course, he hasn't been able to have sustained success, though. That's the one thing you wonder about with him. You know, can he do it over time? And he's coming off a bad spell with the Jaguars, which is which is why he was available. But I think 
really, when you look at it, you know, he, um, he only struggled in a short number of games because he was injured in the first game. He came back, uh, played for a while, and then, he, you know, he, the, the Jaguars struggled around him, I think. And there were a lot of factors that led to his, his uh, frustrations in Jacksonville. And he was benched before you know it, and then he was available. But I, I really believe that uh, he's a guy who, who can kind of bounce back this year and be a good acquisition for the Bears. Do I believe that that means Mitch Trubisky does not have a chance to start? No, I don't. I, I think he still has uh, a decent chance to start. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he were the starter on opening day. Um, you know, part of it is because of this uncertainty we have over what training camp and preseason is going to look like. But look, you know, if this team, if this regime had totally given up on Mitch Trubisky, which is what I hear some people uh, believing now. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, they, they would have gone for a, a quarterback other than Nick Foles. They would have gone, maybe they would have gone for a Tom Brady or something. Why wouldn't they have? If they, if they really believed that, that, uh, uh, Mitch Trubisky was, was done in Chicago, I think they still have hope with Mitch Trubisky and I think they're still going to give him a chance. I agree, and I think that's a that's a good logical way to look at it as well. Um, you know they, that they they probably would have gone gone with somebody else besides Nick Foles if they were totally giving up on Trubisky at this point. Hey Dan, thanks so much for jumping on with us today. We appreciate it. Great stuff on Michael McCaskey. Uh, encourage our listeners to go read what Dan wrote on the Athletic as well on Michael. Uh, and, and again, Dan, thanks so much for jumping on. We always we always enjoy the conversation. Okay, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. All right, there he is, Dan Pompey. Johns, I want to give you a response, a chance to respond to what Dan just said, because going back to what you said right before we started talking to Dan, you sound like you're leaning more towards Foles being the in-house leader, and I still maintain that I think Trubisky has the inside track to start, because I just I don't feel like they've completely given up on him. I think there's a good chance Foles will play eventually um, because I think Nagy trusts him more, at least at this point. But I still think they're going to give Trubisky every chance to earn that trust. Well, he'll get that shot. Absolutely, he'll get that shot. But I'll, I'll phrase it this way. I think it's Nick Foles' job to lose while it's Mitch Trubisky's job to win. Does that make sense to you? Like, it's completely, it's almost different situations for the guys. Like here's Nick Foles. He already has the, the confidence of his head coach. Just just in terms because I know we're gonna play a couple of sound bites here. Just just the way that Matt Nagy is starting to talk more about Nick Foles and how the messages have changed a little bit more about Mitch Trubisky. Like that, that's almost notable notable to me. So no the Bears are not giving up on Mitch Trubisky. Yes, he's gonna get his opportunities. Yes, he needs to impress in the preseason but I think there's a, a trust that's already built in to what Nick Foles is, and that applies to Matt Nagy, that applies to Bill Lazor, that applies to John Filippo. And I don't know if Mr. Trubisky really has, the right, has that right now. I don't think he could do anything in these Zoom meetings to, to re-earn that back either. So that's why I think the preseason is so valuable for, for Mitch in this competition. Here's what Nagy said last week about Nick Foles learning the offense. So, number one, what we always talk about, it's like riding a bike. Uh, He's been through some different um, offenses, even from the last time we were together in Kansas City. But what happens is, is once you present 
somebody like Nick the, the playbook and they start looking at it, all of a sudden it just clicks and you start remembering and you just start retraining your brain from what you knew in the past year, a couple years. Um, because even though everyone always says, you know, Coach Reed, Doug Peterson, Frank Reich, that family that we have of coaches that have worked together some way, someplace or another, there's still, you know, there's still terminology, terminology differences between all of us. And, and, and so, but that doesn't take much. And Nick's a smart guy. And so those guys have done a really good job. And, and I credit Coach Laser and, and, and Coach uh, Flip and Coach Rags. And in that quarterback room, they're doing a really good job, all things considered, and in, in really understanding some of the new things we're going to do, some of the old things we're going to keep, and then how we're building these relationships, too. That's just as important in this thing uh, moving forward. So Nick's done a great job, and I credit him for that. I guess – John's I just I actually look at this more like it's it's Trubisky's job to lose. I feel like until he absolutely See, I, th- I feel like he's already lost it. That's why Nick Foles is here. Like Nick Foles wouldn't be here. I go back to what Dan Pompey just said though. If he had already completely lost it, that's suggesting that the Bears are are done with him. That they they well, they're not done with them. They they're they're, they're I, I've phrased it this way in the past. It's like they have the towel to throw into the ring. They just haven't thrown it yet. Well, they have the replacement ready to go. But if they were so convinced that he was not the guy, I think they would have gone out and gone bigger than Nick Foles. Nick Foles is a guy who, as we also just talked about with Dan Pompey, has never been able to put it together for a full season either. So as much as I... I part of the reason why I liked the acquisition was because I thought it was somebody that you give Mitch one more ride and if he still can't perform consistently enough, can't lift the team enough, then you bring in Foles, somebody who's going to be able to come in, whether it's week one or week 10, you know, he'll be ready to go because he has that trust from Matt Nagy. So I still, I still maintain that it would take a huge separation in whatever preseason training camp we end up seeing, a huge separation between them for them to go with Nick Foles. I think even think if it's close, they would still give Trubisky one more chance because once you once you move on from Trubisky, once you make that move to bench him, to make him the backup, like there's really no going back from that. I, I think Nick Foles is a bigger acquisition than, than maybe meets the eye. You know, with the the three, it, it took not only it took a fourth round pick, it took renegotiating his contract, it it took getting like he's under contract for three years, twenty one, twenty four million, whatever it is. Like there is a commitment already there to that guy, and I don't know if, and I think his his connection with the coaches is more meaningful to them than, than maybe some outsiders think. I think the. How should I phrase this? The the the, the comfort and, and just the like this is a guy that they wanted. Like this, they they made him their number one off season quarterback target for a variety of reasons. And I think the comfort, the connection, the chemistry, like all all of these things make him bigger than, than maybe meets the eye. Look, and, and I get it. Trubisky's going to get his chance here. He is. He absolutely deserves it too. I think the Bears would be absolutely foolish not to give it to him. But I think something changed in the Bears in, in 2019, right? Like, like Mr. Trubisky has to go out 
and really blow them away, in my opinion, right? Like like something happened last year that he has to rid from the Bears' thought process, right? Like they thought they needed him to raise the boats, right? They needed him to, to change the offense for the better, to, to be that greater racer for all their concerns. And he just wasn't it. That's what he was supposed to be as the second overall pick. Maybe that's unfair, but that's what he's going to be held to. Um, I would just say, I know what everyone's saying. I know what you're saying. I know what Dan is saying. I just think Nick Foles is a bigger acquisition than, than maybe meets the eye. Well, you mentioned the commitment they made to him, uh, and then there was the lack of commitment made to Mitch by not picking up the fifth-year option, which we all expected but was official. And Matt Nagy talked last week about how Mitch reacted to that. Again, it's it's the way the way that we look at it and the way that I look at it, and all of us is first of all, there's there's you know there's these dates in, in the calendar that every team has to abide by, and and so um, you know. We had the discussion with Mitchell, explained it to him. And I think for him, you know, and for all of us, it was like a 24-hour process where we, had, we, we, we treat this thing with a lot of honesty. We treat it with, 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 uh, on, on his end and our end as far as what we're doing moving forward. Nothing's changed from having to have to make that decision in regards to this, this, uh, this open competition. And so for us – probably don't believe it or not but we we just we move on so 24 hours later it's on we're in zoom meetings and we're having unbelievable discussions in that quarterback room of nothing but how we can get better on running 22 scat z in and and i think that that's a credit to who mitch is um and 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 now we all understand that this thing is is um for all of us going to be what y'all talk about and that's fair that's totally fair we you know i understand that so, but for us, we move on. Um, we're all very open and honest in, in the discussions we have. And then we just let the thing play out. And, and again, in the end, what we want is for both those quarterbacks to be the best possible quarterbacks that they can be individually and then make it hard on us to make the decision to who the starter is. So that makes the Bears a better football team. And, and when you have two good people like we do in Mitchell and Nick, it makes these type of decisions and conversations a lot easier to have because they're competitive as hell. They want the best for the Bears, and they're going to fight their tails off to do that. And I think that's the beauty of it. So, again, out of respect, I, I know it's, it's, uh, that, that's a topic, but we're, uh, we really – I mean, and again, including all the other players on our team, um, there's other great competitions, and our players feel that. That's a word we use a lot in our Zoom meetings. Is competition, competition, competition. Uh, so that that's what uh, I think he handled it really well, and I and I was proud of how he handled it. But you know what, Johns? I sincerely doubt that Trubisky has just moved on from it. And if you're the Bears, you hope he doesn't. You hope that this motivates him and is something that eats at him to to, to put it all together this year. The long-term best scenario is, yes, Mitch Trubisky wins this. Is it not, Adam? Like, that would yeah. be the the best thing possible. Like, you want to have that tough decision. You want to have you, – you want Ryan Pace to go into Jilly Lane. Like, how are we going to make this work financially? Like, how are we going to do this? Because we've got to re-sign Mitch Trubisky. Like, and we already have Nick Foles under contract for two more years. You want that conversation to happen. That is so good 
for your franchise. And I think they still want it to happen, but they're preparing themselves for it not to happen. That's why Nick Foles is here. I get what I'm saying about, like, I don't want to make it sound like I'm writing off Mitch Trubisky because I'm not. I think it's unfair to. I think it's probably premature to. I think Mitch Trubisky should come back and be all fired up. This is this is going to be something. This is going to be quite the, quite the test of, of his character and his aptitude to, to handle everything, you know, from a playbook sense. So I'm really intrigued by what we're going to see, if we ever get to see it, when he returns to the field, you know, in training camp. I, I wonder if he's just going to look different, if things are just going to operate differently with him knowing that his back is completely against the wall. Well, and again, at least they have two quarterbacks who know the system and at least have worked with the play caller. You know, obviously Trubisky a ton the last two years, but but Nick Foles too. So because if the reps are limited, um, it's it's going to make the decision that much harder because you you would like to have as much sample size as possible. Right now, the plan is to play both of these guys in the preseason to uh, to. And by the way, that's maybe another comment. I mean, it seems like Nagy is really almost regretting not playing these guys last year, which I think the way that the the, the the way it certainly turned out on offense last year, it, it seemed like a mistake in the end. See, I, and I also get the – I still get his original point on it. You want to keep your guys healthy, and if you feel good – Oh, I do too. If you feel good about what they are doing, and then it's it's great. That's it, your opinion. I think what you're seeing is, is maybe like a, a partial evolution of, of Matt Nagy as a coach, like a guy who's willing to, to approach this with some humility – Knowing that he has to change his 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 approach, his thought process on certain things, and I think what you're going to see, you know, where, where you're going to see that apply most is his approach to the preseason. Like you can't just march, you know, Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles out there in this competition with a bunch of practice squatters, with a bunch of guys you're going to cut in a couple of weeks. You got to put them out there with your starters. You got to put them out there with Jimmy Graham. You got to put them out there with a Cole Komet. You got to put them out there with an Allen Robinson and an Anthony Miller behind your starting offensive line. You got to see what they can collectively do um, together. You got to see what that quarterback can do with everything you know at his disposal. So I kind of almost respect, maybe commend might be too much, but I'd like that that Matt Nagy is is willing to be flexible with his approach to things from a year-to-year basis. Like, he's willing to learn and adjust his way of life. Well, and everybody's adjusting their way of life right now, trying to uh, get through this offseason without the players in front of them. Uh, and, and the one thing, too, players scattered all over the country in different time zones. It's it's really a, a unique situation that all these NFL teams are dealing with right now. I was very interested to see what Nagy had to say about what they're doing virtually, virtually right now to make up for the lost time that they would normally have in the off-season program at House Hall right now. Here's what Nagy said about that. Really, what they do with the new CBA is they say, you can have the players for X amount of time. You can have the players for X amount of days. Well, it's very similar to what we would have if we were at House Hall. The difference is, is we'd break that time up to go out in the field. That's extra time that we're having right now. So really, in essence, when you look at this thing between – um, the different phases between OTAs, a lot of it is really the same stuff every day. So we're trying to kind of create our own. There's, there's no format yet. We're, we're creating our own as we go. 
based off of the feedback we're getting of the amount of monotony that we're getting in these meetings. So it's been, uh, it's been a lot of collaboration from players and coaches. You know, Johns, I, I appreciate him, you know, looking on the, you know, and trying to find optimism. He mentioned also in the call, silver lining, that it's much easier for him to jump from meeting to meeting in zoom than it is to physically move from room to room at house hall. Um, but the reality is too, like they're missing a lot of strength and conditioning stuff that would be done under the supervision uh, at House Hall. Now they can still try to get these guys to do that stuff at home, but it's different. And I would also say from a team camaraderie standpoint, it's just not the same over Zoom as it would be when you're inside the building every day. And there's also a lot of downtime um, to make relationships. Like this is where you have to really feel confident about the culture, right? Like things, like all the work that has gone in before this pandemic. And I, I think Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, like what they've built culture-wise. They have a lot of good leaders on both sides of the ball. Like, you know Cleo Mack's working out. You know Allen Robinson's working out. The the only question here, again, is the quarterbacks. Like, they're the ones who need to develop chemistry. Like, you can trust that Jimmy Graham is going to be professional. You can trust that Cody Whitehair is going to be professional. You can trust a lot of these guys. Like, that's because of the, of the culture and all your evaluations that have gone on before this. And, you know, everyone else across the league is in the same boat. But to me, man, Adam, it all goes back to that quarterback conversation. Like, that's where the on-the-field stuff, you know, like that's that stuff's invaluable to these guys in the early going, especially Nick Foles for trying to win over an Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller. Like, Mitch Trubisky already knows those guys. You know, may not always work out on the field, but he knows them. He's working out with them, you know, up in the Lake County Sports Complex. So, you know, that's that that to me is is significant and, and so what makes them a bit different than than other teams, you know, going through this pandemic. And by the way, uh you might have noticed over the weekend a number of other NFL players getting arrested. So, you know, yeah. going back to uh the culture and kind of the trust you have. Now it's not to say that nobody with the Bears will end up getting in trouble here. Um, but I just think that that's uh, an, something to throw in there when you start talking about culture and trusting your players throughout all this as well. All right, we got to get out of here, Johns. Um, but good episode. Good to have Dan Pompey on uh, to reminisce on Michael McCaskey. Sad news over the weekend with him passing away after a battle with leukemia. Yes, and we'd, we'd like to express our condolences to the McCaskey family as well. So um, definitely not easy uh, for them, I'm sure. Absolutely. So uh, thanks, Sir Dan, for jumping on and also including his quarterback thoughts as well. You can follow us on Twitter at Adam Hogue, H-O-G-E, at Adam Johns, J-A-H-N-S, Dan Pompey. I believe he's just at, at Dan Pompey on Twitter, too. Can double check that real quick. Yes, just at Dan Pompey on Twitter. And you should be following him as well. You can read him at The Athletic, theathletic.com, on The Athletic app, where you can also listen to this podcast as well. It's a great app. You should be on there. John's is all his stuff is on there. It's five thoughts from over the weekend. And I am at NBCSportsChicago.com. You can read my Trubisky column that we talked about earlier in the podcast up there. Want to give a shout out to Micah on Twitter. He said, I watched the Marvel movies because of you guys. Endgame ended so beautifully. Couldn't have had a better ending. Thank you for in so many ways changing my life. Johns, that's what we do here. We change lives on the Hogan Johns podcast. I love it. What else? Go ahead. I'm listening. <laughs>